So this morning we've heard a section from Exodus pertaining to the construction of the tabernacle. Do you know that scripture devotes more room to the description of the tabernacle, its contents and accessories than any other single subject? The first half of the book of Genesis is all, uh, rather Exodus, is all about God freeing uh, the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And the second half from uh, chapter 19 onwards is predominantly about the tabernacle. And loosely speaking, the structure goes something like this. Uh, Tabernacle designed, tabernacle delayed, tabernacle completed. And so we just look very briefly at each uh, one of those to start with. So firstly, tabernacle designed. Uh, When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, God gave him the law, which included the Ten Commandments. But he also gave him very detailed instructions for the construction of the tabernacle and its contents. The law was to teach the people how to reflect God's character out into the world to the surrounding nations, and the tabernacle was to be the means by which God's presence dwelt with his people. Secondly, then, the the second phase is tabernacle delayed. And this is what we looked at last week. When Moses came down from the mountain, he found that the people had uh, given themselves over to idolatry. They'd made a golden calf and they were worshipping it. Uh, This complicated things, as sin always does. And last week we saw how God graciously brought his people back on track. And as part of that, they had the tent of meeting, which was kind of like a temporary tabernacle, the place where Moses and the people uh, went to meet with God. So thirdly, the uh, third phase of this, the tabernacle uh, description, is tabernacle completed. Uh, This section begins in chapter 35, where we find ourselves today, and it details the construction itself. And what we've heard this morning explains to us how the Israelites uh, went about uh, accomplishing this task that God had given them to do. And it answers a, a, a crucial question. And the question is this, what does the Lord's work require? What does the Lord's work require? That's what we're going to try and understand this morning. But let's uh, remember again that uh, the Israelites were building a tabernacle, the place where God's presence would dwell. The tabernacle was superseded by the temple, and the temple was superseded by the body of Christ. When we talk about the body of Christ, we are, of course, talking about the church, not the building, but the people. God is present in the world today primarily through his church, uh, through Christians, within whom God's Holy Spirit dwells. Uh, The Holy Spirit uh, dwells in all those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. So the Israelites were constructing a tabernacle, a place where God's presence would dwell, a forerunner uh, to the temple, and we're building a church, the place where God's presence dwells through the person of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 2.5 says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's all to do with God's presence dwelling among his people. Uh, through the tabernacle, uh, through the church. It's not hard to see the connection between God's work being accomplished through the Israelites in the book of Exodus and God's work being accomplished uh, in in the world in the 21st century uh, through the church. So back to the question, what does the Lord's work require? Well, the passage identifies four things that we're going to consider. Uh, uh, The Lord's work requires liberal givers, 
willing workers, diverse gifts, and the Holy Spirit. And actually, this is one of the rare points in Israel's history where we can look to this nation as a genuinely good example of how to carry out the Lord's work. One of the things you'll notice when you uh, read Exodus is the amount of detail when it comes to the description of the tabernacle. And a lot of people get to this bit and they think, oh, why so much detail? It's repetitive. It's boring. We've got to wade through this. But without the detail, we wouldn't see the extent of Israel's obedience. It's not just that they were obedient. They were incredibly, precisely obedient. They carried out God's instructions to the letter. Well, among other things, a detail enables us to see the extent of their commitment. If, you, if your um, friend told you that their 15-year-old son helped around the home, you'd say, oh, that's nice. He's helpful. Uh, But without the details, you don't get a sense of how helpful he actually is. Supposing your friend says, uh, my son cooked three times a week, he mows the lawn, he keeps the garden tidy, he empties the dishwasher, he vacuums the house every day whenever I come home from work, the house is immaculate, Um, he makes his breakfast in bed every Saturday. Imagine your friend said that. Apart from wondering how you got it so wrong with your own children, you'd say, wow, That is incredibly helpful. We can dream. But it's the the detail that would show the extent of the boy's helpfulness. And the detail of the tabernacle enables us to see the extent of Israel's commitment and obedience to God. So what does the Lord's work require? Firstly, it requires Liberal givers. I don't mean politically liberal. I mean liberal in the sense of giving freely and abundantly. Verse 21 says, Everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tabernacle. You see, God always looks for a natural basis upon which to build his kingdom. Of course, God could do anything he likes without the aid of human beings. But he chooses to include us because he loves us. He wants us to be involved in his work in the world, because from that develops our relationship with him. Uh, Therefore, we must provide the raw materials for God's work to take place. If the Israelites hadn't been willing to give, uh, the tabernacle wouldn't have got off the ground, literally. And let's remember that the Israelites didn't have bank accounts. Their, their, their wealth would have consisted in what they owned, their material assets. But interestingly, it doesn't say everyone bought an offering to the Lord. It says everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord. Presumably, there were some in the community who were not willing Uh, When it comes to giving, there will always be uh, those who are backwards in coming forwards. Uh, When we lived in London, we used to enjoy watching the uh, street performers at Covent Garden, and some of them were brilliant. You had tightrope walkers and magicians and jugglers, and you'd be watching a performer, and just before they performed their grand finale, they would remind you, they'd say, um, this is what they do for a living. No one is paying them to be there. If you've enjoyed it, then put some money in the hat afterwards. Uh, and then uh, they perform the grand finale. And amidst the commotion of rapturous applause, you'd always see a number of people who would just slink off. They'd just kind of sneak away. 
Uh, even though they'd watched a uh, half an hour thrilling, entertaining performance that had no sense of collective responsibility for paying the performers' wages. Now, I'm not comparing the building of the tabernacle to a street performance. And our giving to the church is nothing like paying a street performer, as if we come to church, watch a show, pay a few dollars and go home. No, that's not it. I'm merely trying to point out the importance of collective financial responsibility. If the crowd doesn't chip in, the street performer goes unpaid, he stops performing. If the Israelites don't give, the tabernacle doesn't get built. It just remains in the planning phases. And if we don't give, this church will not be sustainable in the long term. That's the reality. Uh, we are often, uh, we are what's often referred to as a church plant. We are a church that's been planted in Springfield. We're a new church. Do you know that four out of five church plants in Australia across all the denominations fail? Normally because of lack of financial resources. Uh, they're not financially sustainable. Four out of five church plants fail. We will not fail. We will not fail. I have every confidence. God has given us the resources that we need. But we are the guardians of those resources. Uh, The Bible often uses the word stewards. We are the stewards of the resources that are needed to build this church. The question is, are we willing to release those resources? But I don't want you to feel pressured. I don't want you to think, oh, he's asking us to give and I don't have any money. Well, that's not strictly true. We can all give. The question is, how much? We're not all expected to give the same amount. Uh, In verse 5, Moses tells the Israelites to give from what they have. They can only give what they have, and what they have varies. Looking at verse 23 to 29, we see that uh, the leaders, those who were wealthier, brought jewels and precious spices. Others brought everything from gold earrings to ramskins. And the gifts came from people of all classes. Rich and poor were equally generous. We're not all expected to give the same, but our gifts should be generous and willingly given. Uh, In fact, our giving should be an act of worship, just as it was for the Israelites. Verse 22, they all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Verse 24, those presented an offering of silver and bronze, brought it as an offering to the Lord, and so on. This offering is part of Israel's corporate worship. Worshipping God means giving him everything. I don't mean every cent, but I mean every area of our lives, every part of our lives. And that, of course, includes our uh, money and our finances. Our willingness to give, our willingness to give generously, is a good measure of our spiritual health as individuals and as a church. You know, occasionally... Occasionally, I'm tempted to pray for a rich benefactor who will bankroll the church. But I don't pray for that. I don't pray for that because that would be a spiritual death sentence for this church. Giving changes us. It changes us. It brings us closer to God's heart of generosity. It breaks the grip of materialism. And it enables us to worship God more freely. Without giving... We are spiritually bankrupt. Finally, in relation to the Israelites giving, it was overflowing. Chapter 36, uh, verses 6 to 7 say this. Then Moses gave an order 
and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering to the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Isn't it wonderful that the Israelites gave over and above what was required? If only. But I'm afraid you will never hear me say, um, stop giving. We've got enough. Not because I'm hoping for a private jet at some point in the future, uh, but because unlike building the tabernacle, which was a one-off project, building the church is an ongoing mission of limitless proportions. However, I will sometimes uh, tell you that we've reached a significant milestone. For example, uh, we're currently bringing in about 40% of what is required uh, for us to be self-sufficient, to stand on our own two feet independently of the diocese. I'm hoping that after this sermon we're going to jump to 100% uh, when we, we all uh, start giving according to what we have, not according to what we don't have. Do you know that I'm already talking to the diocese about hiring someone one or two days a week to help with youth and children's work? We're already started to have conversations about building a church up there on the hill. There is lots of exciting stuff in the pipeline. We want to build a church, we want to grow it, we want to impact uh, this whole uh, community. Uh, being financially self-sufficient will give us a very strong hand with which to negotiate. We're going to talk about that more uh, another time. But the point here is that the Israelites pooled their resources to build a tabernacle, and we must pool our resources to build the church. So what does the Lord's work require? Firstly, liberal givers. Secondly, willing workers. The Israelites didn't just give the raw materials for the construction of the tabernacle. They got involved in the work as a community. Verse 25 says, Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun. Verse 30 onwards describes how Bezalel had artistic skills that were needed to accomplish this work. And both Bezalel and Oholiab had the ability to teach and instruct others. Presumably, there were those who didn't have the skills, but they were willing to learn. And I think when it comes to ministry, a lot of us feel that we don't have the requisite skills. But that's okay. That doesn't matter. All we need is a willingness to learn, a willingness to get involved. Now, having brought up the subject of willing workers, I doubt that many of you are now reflecting on all your hours of spare time and how to fill them in service for the church. And again, depending on a whole raft of factors, some will be able to give more time than others. Being a willing worker does not mean pushing ourselves to breaking point in service of the church. But if we all get involved, to whatever extent we can, the load becomes manageable for everyone. Sometimes the church can be like a soccer match. You have 22,000 people desperately in need of some exercise, all watching 22 people sprinting around desperately in need of a rest. But you know, it's amazing what can be achieved when everyone gets involved. About this time last year, a group of women got together uh, to make nativity costumes for our Christmas Eve um, pantomime. And I think of this project because it's an artistic project and the tabernacle is a slightly bigger artistic project. Well, well, this group of eight women managed to produce a full set of nativity costumes, very high quality nativity costumes, in a single day. 
If it had just been one or two volunteers, those people would have been laboring over it for weeks. And it is the same with anything that we try to do as a church. We are so much more effective when we work together. So next we come to diverse gifts. The size and the intricacy of the tabernacle, along with the vast array of materials used, meant that a diverse uh, range of gifts and skills were needed to complete the project. Uh, 36, verse 2 says this, Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. So there was a skilled workforce, but we assume there were also others whose skills needed to be developed under the watchful eye of Bezalel and Aholiab. We've heard they had the ability to teach others. And there were people, particularly uh, women in this case, who made some of the materials for the tabernacle from scratch. All in all, a huge array of skills and gifts were needed to complete this project. The whole community got involved. But you know, God always, God always resources us for the work that he wants us to do. I'm always amazed at the variety of gifts that God has brought to this church already. You know, it's no coincidence that we have musicians and we have techie-minded people and we have people who are brilliant at welcome and hospitality. Uh, All the different facets. You can see how God is bringing it together. I find it really exciting to see how God is resourcing this church and to know that God will continue to resource this church. You know, our diversity is a huge strength. Bring people from different backgrounds, cultures, and walks of life, and the creative potential is phenomenal. There are very few, in fact, there are no other organizations in the world that bring together such a vast array, such a diverse group of people as a church. In the Second World War, people were conscripted from all kinds of professional backgrounds, nations, and walks of life. And when uh, groups of uh, these people ended up in prisoners of war, they became incredibly resourceful and inventive. And part of their escape plans within uh, the POW camps, uh, they manufactured maps and compasses, they forged documents, they forged passports, they made civilian clothes, they made German uniforms, they even made a full-scale working glider built in the loft of one of the prisoners of war camps. Incredibly resourceful. Often those men would work together to secure the freedom of just a few. Jesus offers us freedom from sin and death. If we know and love Jesus, then we are free. But there are plenty of people out there who are not, who don't know Jesus, who are still walking around in the darkness. Surely we should use our collective gifts to take the good news of Jesus Christ out there into the world. That is ultimately what we're being resourced for, to be God's presence in the world and to take people the good news of Jesus Christ. Finally, God's work requires the Holy Spirit. Chapter 35, 30 to 31. The Lord has chosen Bezalel and he has filled him with the Spirit of God. If the Holy Spirit isn't involved, then it's not God's work. And this actually brings us full circle to the place where we started. Let's remember that the tabernacle is about God's presence dwelling with his people. This is all about God's presence in the world. 
For much of the Old Testament, God's presence is, in a sense, limited to a particular place. And the Holy Spirit comes on particular people at particular times for particular purposes. Uh, People like Bezalel. Today, God is present in the world in and through his church. The Holy Spirit dwelling within all believers who are to reflect God's character out into the world. That is the work of the church for which God resources us and empowers us by his Holy Spirit. It is incumbent upon us to be liberal givers and willing workers using our diverse gifts in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God, that God might be known in our community and in our world. God's presence here in Springfield. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the work that you have given us to do is so incredibly exciting, that your presence doesn't just dwell in uh, in a tabernacle, in a specific place for specific people at specific times, but for everyone, your spirit living within us. And we welcome your spirit into this church and into our lives. And we pray for more of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that we will uh, reflect your character out into the world around us. We pray, Father, that we will represent you in this community in an entirely positive way, in a way that makes an impact and we see lives uh, changed and transformed. We pray, Father, that we will willingly give of ourselves and our resources to the work that you are calling us to do in this place at this time. Father, we thank you for all that you have given us. We thank you for this church and we thank you for your love and your mercy, your grace. Father, be with us, we pray, as we move forwards. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.